a whole new world the other way. In honor of The Little Mermaid's quote-unquote live-action remake, what actual live-action movie needs an animated remake? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and Fritz Lang's M is uh, really stylized in a way that makes it basically an animated movie for what that period was, but I would be interested to see an animated take on it. There might be an animated take on it. This movie's almost 100 years old. If anyone knows about it, tell me. I am Matt Patches, and I think I don't want to remake, like, pave over this movie because it's great. But I think Jupiter Ascending could make a pretty good animated movie. <laughs> and I would want, I want to go bigger than we did the first time. I want to see more of the Abraxas, <laughs> the Abraxas family and Eddie Redmayne screaming. What would the bees look like? Animated? These would be the bees from B-Movie, of course. Obviously. Oh, yeah. Jerry Seinfeld back. I'm David the Seven, and I'm not even going that far back. Last year's Elvis by Boz Lerman. Just make it animated. He's still white. <laughs> My turn? Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. Great. I'm Chris Rosen. Who are you? I'm Chris Rosen. It's me. <laughs> and, and I want the Celtics cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. And I want Uncut Gems as an animated remake. This would be fucking wow, who's, great. Who's directing the animated Uncut Gems? I think they remake. could probably do it. The Safties? Wow. How hard could it be to do it? Safdie's going the Wes Anderson tap one yes. in for the uh, yeah they could animator. you know tag in like an animator yeah like get a third director Henry Selick and the Safdie together. Like <laughs> <laughs> Stop <laughs> motion <laughs> animated uncut gems is really really intense. Uh, like yeah, all the most nightmare inducing animated movie I can imagine. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 430. It is the week of Wednesday, May 24th. That is the day that in 1844, Samuel Morse tapped out what hath God wrought in the world's first telegraph message. That was his first telegraph message? Do we, do we, feel, like he should, do we feel like he should have gone so hard? I mean, in yeah. theory, it did lead us to Twitter. So like, maybe. I mean, who knows what he was actually referencing? Maybe it wasn't the telegraph message. Maybe he was just looking out of his window and being like... What hath God wrought? Maybe he accidentally tapped it while he was waiting for it to work and tapping his finger impatiently. Yeah, just, mm. that, that's what he's always tapping. What hath God wrought? Every, all, all, all day. Uh, you might have noticed we're here with a, a different person. David is still at Cannes. So uh, Chris Rosen, re returning guest, returning call-in show guest. We know that much. Uh, you don't have to be on drive time radio anymore. No, I'm, I'm not in a moving seat. vehicle. It's great. <laughs> Wait, tell people where Chris works and podcasts. Chris, you do that. You tell people where you I, work and, I am and podcasts. Chris Rosen. I work at a website called Gold Derby, which is an awards website that some people might have heard of. If you Me, like awards. I have. It's always an awards season. It's Emmy season, season, season now, is that right? I, Emmy I Rossum do feel, season? Mm -hmm. I do feel threatened uh, by having someone else on here who is paying attention to this shit year-round. So, uh, <laughs> I, when we're... I think Katie might pay a little more attention, but no, I, I pay a lot. Of and we have podcasts <laughs> uh, on there. You can listen to it on like where you get podcasts. Yeah. Who's going to win the Emmy? Which, which one? Succession? The one. The one Emmy, right? Just Succession. Just one Emmy? Yeah, Succession's going to win the one. Well, comedy gonna... might be a bit more in question since everyone hates Ted Lasso this I, season. I think no. I think Ted Lasso will win no. also. Still a winner. 
Just Ooh. get him out of here since we never have to see him again. Well, yeah. I don't know. They still haven't actually said it's their final season. They keep dragging it out. What? So you never. Yeah. Didn't they fire they everyone? Let everyone go and like. Well, I bet they're, they're all on strike. I don't know. I bet there's shrinking? at least two two good award podcasts you could listen to for those answers. Right. But patches. I'll do that. Now nah, we'll just do it now. Um, <laughs> I, even though David is not here with us, he'll send us a can dispatch later. We have reviews and emails and. Uh, at least one thought on the Seven Years War is what I've been told to understand. That is true. What do we got? Uh, I'm, I'm uh, going to jump has in badges. with some some Apple Podcast app reviews from America. Uh, remember, if we don't get to your international reviews, you can send them to our, our email, which Dave has more information on. But uh, we have two podcast reviews this week. The first one is from a really long username that is just a lot of uh, letters that I am not going to attempt to pronounce. It does vaguely look like it spells something, but I'm not. I'm not going to go there. Anyway, this review leaves five stars. It says, "OMG, you guys! I'm a buyer at an indie bookstore, and I'm buying Norton, and I just got to MCU. Ooh. I I've been listening since the Thought Bubble brought me here, and that was a long dang time ago. The Thought Bubble being me." Now extinct comics podcast. Right? All episodes are available at fightingofthewarroom.com. Hey. Uh, anyway, I'm just so happy. Great job. Five freaking stars. Love, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Yay. Thanks, Jason. What is MCU? I'm joking. What is MCU, Dave? It's called MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios. You could pre-order your copy at themcubook.com. Good job. Yeah. Did you tweet this or did I see someone retweeting you as a goof that you could move the M in MCU to after CU and spell come? That was one of our first responses to the book cover reveal. And uh, jo Joanna Robinson sent it out to you and me and okay. everybody because she's like, finally. Certainly because, never thought know. about that through many, many years of watching Marvel movies. The MCU can be reordered to come. Um, Did you think of this, Dave, over writing the course of writing the book? Uh, I mean, I thought about it when I was like, why doesn't why don't they refer to the MCU just as MCU? And I'm like, oh, because people would just make it come. I, I did realize that at some point. <laughs> this is a great podcast. Anyway, back to our reviews. <laughs> this next one is from Hodgsick Miss Boz. Five stars. Lovely podcast. Hey, everyone. Love the podcast. I've been listening for a year and a half or so. Today was probably the last day. Introduced by Blank Check. <laughs> Finally writing in because I've spent this weekend in Durham and thought hey. that would be fun to bring up. I went and hey. saw John Wick 4 with my family at the AMC on MLK Junior Parkway, which is funny because it felt like it hadn't been updated in many uh -huh. years. Mm -hmm. Katie, I was wondering how the Northgate and Carolina Theater were and maybe what your favorite theater in the city <laughs> is. Sorry if that's a question that's been asked before. Have a great week. Keep up the great work. Is Durham a city? Durham is definitely a city. Like a kind of a big town. Well, you need to come here and visit, obviously. Oh. Um, it's not as big as Raleigh, but if you put Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill together, it's quite a large city. Uh, so the MLK uh, AMC is where I now choose to go to see basically any movie. Cause you, it's not, it hasn't been updated in a very long time. It doesn't tend to be very crowded. It's where I went to see Avatar The Way of Water and Black Panther. Uh, the Northgate one is closer to my house and is so derelict that I think I can't go there anymore, which is uh, a bummer because it is like miraculously still open. The tickets are, tickets are incredibly cheap. 
Uh, there's like holes in the screens and in mm. the bathroom for years and years. If you open like one door, there's two toilets sitting next to each other because like the toilet stall Durham. wall. That's what I was just absolutely say. the yeah. pavilion of Durham. Yeah. Like and like the the showtime listings are not always online, but then somehow they're still open. Uh, it's a strange place. The Carolina Theater. I'm on the board of it, so I am biased. But it's great theater. It shows great first run movies. A lot of retro stuff. They have like Friday night double features. They've got live performances and going to a drag show there in They've June. They've never hosted a live show for Fighting in the Worm. Isn't that strange? I don't know that uh, we are uh, paying enough or being booked by the booking company. So uh, you know, I don't know that my nepotism is going to get us on that stage. Wait, but, but maybe pay enough or no that we like Fighting in the War Room does not pay enough to book ourselves on their stage. What? Like we should, we should book us. you guys. Yeah, what are you talking about? We'd you gotta, uh, you gotta bring, you gotta make the case. See, I don't think my nepotism can get the us all theater. the way there. What? How, it's like a thousand seats, man. It's, it's substantial. How many people? You don't think people listen? In the south, um, I, I hope this person comes back to Durham and goes to the Carolina Theater. It's a great place. Uh, did you say we only had two reviews, patches? That was our uh, podcast app. Hell yeah. Yes, please leave us reviews of the Apple Podcast app if you're in the U.S. or any international uh, podcast app, because that is where the algorithm helps shove us in front of new people. But if you leave an international review or don't want to struggle with the podcast app, as we've heard with some people, you could email us your thoughts and reviews at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. This first one from Leslie has a review and then some thoughts in a two-part email. Uh, in response to last week's right. discussion we had about AI. First, the review. Hello, Fitware. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year or so, brought here by the wonderful episodes of Blank Check. Uh, Three-fourths of your co-hosts. you guys pay residuals to Blank Check? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we just hold it against Dave because he never plugs oh, us when okay. he goes on Blank Check. Yeah, somehow people still know to listen to this afterwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, I tried to get on before the pandemic, and they're like, we only do it if you could be here live, and then like the pandemic changed their thing, and that never circled back. I need to get on Blake check. Anyway, plus, I listened to Dave on Storm of Spoilers when I found it during my Game of Thrones rewatch in the depths of the pandemic. Love you all. Love the chaotic nature of the podcast. Five stars. No notes. <laughs> so when, uh, having, being celebrated for our chaos is probably bad for us. We're just going <laughs> to run with it. No, no, it's fine. Everybody else has uh, structure and order, and we don't. Yeah. Uh, break. Well, one note on AI. I listened to your segment on AI this morning as I walked to my job as a New York City high school English teacher. Katie wondered how much AI is affecting daily life for some people, and I'm here to say it's definitely affecting the lives of teachers around this country, mm. especially my colleagues in our English department who have had a new story of students using AI to cheat daily. Kids have always plagiarized from each other from the internet. It's usually fairly easy to catch. Often, suddenly, their writing has gotten much better, or probably AI tools and problems like in programs like Google Classroom find their writing on the internet or in another student's work. However, kids are now using AI rampantly to cheat, and it's insidiously difficult to catch AI's writing, as evidenced by what Patches had it create last week. It is often not good, and it's often not good in a way that mimics a teenager's writing. There are AI and ChatGDP detectors, but they are often not reliable. The other problem is if you ask, ask ChatGDP to write you an essay with citations, it'll just make up quotes from novels or articles or whatever. Now, catching plagiarism comes with the territory. I accepted that when I became an English teacher. There are a couple of real problems here, though. One, students in the secondary school are already behind from the pandemic, far, far behind in almost every aspect of what school is supposed to do for them. A tool that allows them to do literally nothing, not even read something on the internet, to then decide it is good enough to cut and paste into their work is anathema to what we're trying to do here. 
Two, critical thinking skills are already fighting the tide of social media and generating teenage malaise. AI tools eliminate them almost entirely if you take wholesale what it gives you, which is what a teenager does. It is not only a secondary school issue, but also at the university level. I'm sure tech will advance and will have better detectors, but then some other horrible thing will be developed that makes my job a nightmare. However, right now it's enabling students who are already lacking in many basic skills, and it will have repercussions down the line eventually. Thanks for reading my rant. I apologize, but sometimes screaming into the void helps. Keep up the great work. No, that was great. That's, I mean, hopefully that's not just screaming into the void. Although I doubt there's anyone who's teaching high school who doesn't know about this. It sounds like a very obvious, uh, intractable problem, but it's not one that I had thought of. And, uh, man. Can you just give them teachers, an F? Like, uh, or is that I guess? students if they just, if you just fail them, uh, all the I way can't, I mean, well, I think the idea is that you're trying you're to get them to, to learn them. something. And if yeah, you just you fail them, yeah. then they still don't learn anything, right? Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. I'm being... Stupid. Yeah, that sucks. Teachers work I've way also, too hard to have to put up with this bullshit. I've also anecdotally heard of some people's papers getting caught for using AI when they definitely didn't use AI. Oh, no. So, I think, I think... Much like, you know, the chat GDP itself, it's kind of telling you what you want yeah. to hear at a certain point. It's a, it's so, a sticky situation. I hope it's a, I hope it's a phase. I hope everyone's just wants to experiment and play around with it. Although I did, I mean, the broader issue flagged here is like social media is its own rot on, on society and uh, the attention span of today's kids and, and teens. And I saw that the Surgeon General of the United States they have issued a like a report against social media where they they here's the quote there are ample indicators that social media can also have a profound risk of harm to the mental health and well-being of children and adolescents mhm um no duh <laughs> uh-huh i mean i feel like those of us with kids have like what you said about like hope it just gets out of their system and changes like that's how we approach social media we're like oh by the time our kids are old enough we'll fix it I mean, this is the, the problem that this person is facing is, is something we all face, which is like, we have to tell kids, we have to talk to kids about AI. Parents need to be up on technology and understand what it does <laughs> and then tell them how it's used. It's just like YouTube. It's just like social media, but it takes so much education for the parents and, and the adults yeah. in the room. And I don't think we do a very good job of educating adults. Chris, what age do you do we? What age do you have the AI talk with with your kids? Uh, never, hopefully. No, I don't know. No, Probably no. When now. do you <laughs> ask the AI to do the talking? To have, with yeah, your to do the talking. Oh, right now, you. maybe. I think. Yeah, yeah go know. to Chat GPT. How and do say, you talk to kids to about bed. AI? I'm sure that would work, right? The, the kids will definitely listen to yeah, a computer. They'll listen. Yeah, mm -hmm. they love. Big, they love, compu so they love computers. <laughs> if they think the AI is coming personally from you, maybe you could put the fear of a parent in them. You, this is why Katie's I, child is watching Terminator and Terminator 2. <laughs> he's got to learn he would, uh, to fight. If he, if he knew there was a movie called Rise of the Machines, he'd probably be. I mean, he's a big Cameron it. fan. He is. Start him young. Uh, he's, yeah, we're starting him young. All right, next email is titled Nine Years War Primer. <clears throat> Greetings from across the pond. This podcast, <laughs> this is an insane podcast. <laughs> People Sorry. like it when we're People chaotic. Like we just I, heard I that. Guess. You can't get we this also, anywhere else. We also asked for these opinions several <laughs> times, so this is what happens. Uh, greetings from across the pond, devoted Brit Fitware listener here. I think you're all wonderful, incidentally, review-wise. Just listen to the latest pod. I'm responding to Patches' request for info on the Nine Please. Years' War. So, in brief, 
It was a huge Europe and America spanning war, arguably the first ever world war, which was basically between Louis XIV of France, world's most powerful king of the time, versus a big league of quote-unquote other powers, mainly the Dutch Republic and the Habsburgs of the Holy Roman Empire, whose main aim was to limit Louis XIV's expansion. William of Orange was the leader of the Dutch, and he invaded England in the so-called Glorious Revolution and overthrew their king, the Catholic James II, because the worry was that James as a Catholic would ally with the French and boost their power. William had himself crowned William III of England and declared allegiance to the alliance arrayed against Louis, depriving him of an ally in an ongoing nine years' war, and that's it in a nutshell. Incidentally, many Brits do not know much about this history, and alas, it isn't taught in schools here. Also, in terms of who you are as, Amer- as who you all as Americans would root for, it'd probably be the French, because even though the Dutch were a Protestant republic and therefore closer to the American ethos, they were also bound up with the English, boo, whereas the French helped out your revolutionaries during your independence war a hundred years or so later. So, goodies? Anyway, this was meant to be Whew. brief, and now it looks like a big block. Apologies. I just enjoy history and had to respond. Please keep making delightful podcasts forever. All the best, Charlie in London. That was delightful. Thoughts on the uh, Nine Years' War? <laughs> I gotta say, did not pay attention to that class in history. <laughs> I, no, I literally could not tell you one thing about it. Who fought in that war? I zoned out when well, Dave was reading it. I <laughs> this is what we talked about last week, because we were talking about our knowledge of the Nine Years' War and how we have no idea like who was the good guy in it, which I think the answer we're nearly now is nobody, really. Uh, I do remember the part about France helping America from Hamilton. So that, uh, that that's my education right there. The revolutionary war. No, this revolutionary war. But like, that's what he just referenced about oh, how we would support oh, France because they supported the American revolution. I, like, I understood that later. Yeah. See, he, you saw Hamilton. Yeah, many times. It's unfortunate that I know so much more about the house of Abrasics and their takeover <laughs> of earth uh, than I do the nine years <laughs> war. But um, it's because you're working on your Jupiter ascending animated adaptation. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> We're all excited for it. <laughs> that would be pretty good. Uh, we got an email from Martin who asked for my personal top five MCU uh, movies. I will email Martin back because that might be content. You gotta for save that for something. Yeah, that's content. <laughs> yeah. Red alert. And then if, finally, this one will be our last one because it is uh, from Kyle and it is once again responding to something we said on the last podcast. Been loving the podcast, but I'm really writing to provide Katie with a short list of kid-friendly space media Ooh. discussed a few episodes back. I've always been a space person, so I started to rack my brain as soon as she mentioned that her family was in need. I think this is Apollo 13 being too boring response. Well, also, uh, uh, Crater. Remember we talked about Crater? Oh, yeah, and Crater. First is Zathura, 2005, which is uh-huh. basically Jumanji in space. It's, it's also the proto-Iron Man. Kristen Stewart Haven't there. seen it in a long time. Don't blame me if it's as annoying as the Goonies. Josh Hutchins. Uh, depending <laughs> on... I feel like it's not a realistic portrayal of space. I'm just guessing by the fact that their house goes to space. I think movie. we can I think we can live with it not being too realistic. Okay. Depending on the age of the child in question, there are a few episodes of the magic school bus gets lost in space that might be appropriate. Ooh. Here's a YouTube link, but I think you can find them on Netflix and they shared the link. And then there's Apollo Ten and a Half, which is oh. much more of a nostalgic link later movie than a kid's movie, but substantially about a kid getting recruited to NASA to go to the moon would be interested to know what a kid would think of it. That's it. P.S. I really admire you guys have been getting together so long to do this podcast. Truly inspiring. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. All of these reviews are really homing in on the fact that this is that we've been doing this for a very long time. Is there some reason right now it feels like we've been doing this for a long time? Are I, we getting, are we sounding old? <laughs> oh, everyone is listening I mean, so probably. closely and responding to us, though. This is delightful. Oh, See, we could fill the <laughs> Carolina theater. In Durham? <laughs> we'll just need to make the trek. 
I will uh, I'll see if I can work my connections and you guys just have to get here. What about the, you can, you can maybe film the AMC you were talking about? Yeah, we can go to the, the, uh, the AMC or the theater that's uh, so derelict. I don't yeah, go the there derelict anymore. one, maybe. Yeah, yeah we can uh, go there. There's nobody nobody would even show. notice if we, we could just put on a show there. They would not, they would not notice. <laughs> you could you could leave reviews on the iTunes podcast app or email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Let's get on with the show. Well, Chris, we invited you here to talk about a lot of things. Yes. But when you when you agreed to come on, <laughs> I figured it was time to hash out about Mrs. Davis, a show that I find irritating, despite a lot of talented people in it. And you think wow. it's great. I was uh, excited for this show. I haven't. I've seen the pilot, but I haven't. I know. Why haven't you kept really watching felt, it? Could this I maybe really tell haven't. us something? Well, I will say I Chris and I live near each other. We were chit chatting and he said, you got to watch Mrs. Davis. You'll watch the pilot and you are not going to want to go on. And then you got to jump into episode two because that's where you're going to get yanked by the collar and sucked into this weird ass show. I watched the pilot and I have not watched <laughs> beyond it. And I didn't even think the pilot was that bad. It's just a strange confluence of, of tones and ideas and who knows what the show is about. It feels like Preacher in that first episode, that AMC, that short-lived AMC show. Ooh, it feels short -lived. It has that kind of like weirdo watchman. There's a lot of things going on that don't make any sense tone to it in the beginning, but not referential to anything uh, because Betty Gilpin is playing a nun who is working with uh, a bunch of other nuns to protect the Holy Grail, but there's also an AI who's deciding what you should do in life. They're very, just like a smattering of, of, of things and colors and weirdness and um i could i could not convince my wife to keep going and i don't know if i could convince myself to keep going i i why am i i'm a big weirdo who loves weird things i was just preaching the gospel of jupiter ascending why am i not into damon lindelof teaming up with you'll have to tell me the writer the actual creator tara show. hernandez is the uh, co-creator okay. young sheldon's tara hernandez <laughs> of course yeah i know this was a like a spec or it was either a movie or a TV pilot that she was working on that was going in a different direction that, that Lindelof thought was like a really promising, and then they, he helped her veer it in a different direction. It has a weird backstory, and they got to a very strange place with it. Um, but please tell me, well, Katie might disagree with Chris, but like, what's beyond the pilot? What is this show about? Where so is it going? Are we allowed, can I just spoil the whole thing? Because I feel like... Yeah, the entire season is aired on Peacock. I mean... Like, just I don't know. They, 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 okay. like, it's so complicated that an episode's going to end and then the next one's going to start and be about something completely different almost. Uh, so there's a lot of detail to get into. Um, I don't know, Chris, maybe try not to spoil it at first and then we can ring the spoiler. Gong Answer my question to. of like what the show is about and, and beyond I mean, episode two and then wave <laughs> a spoiler the flag. So I think that the main the thing that I really loved about it and the theme about it that I really loved and that I've been thinking about a lot is that it uses religion and AI here or social media and basically is like human nature is to seek out things that tell people what they want to hear. And it doesn't take a political side on that or an ideological side on it. It is just like this is kind of how it is. And so you think of like religion or Christianity or whatever it is or social media or your political media or whatever news media or AI in this case on the show. It's just literally telling people what they want to hear and not even doing it maliciously, doing it maybe from a initial point of like 
compassion for humanity because no one likes to not be told the truth or like in different ways. And then it really spins out from there. But I think that theme is like really timely and really smart. And the way the show kind of like resolves both of those issues, I found really compelling. And yes, the first episode is completely inscrutable because it just kind of jumps in. I honestly think you'd have to watch the first four episodes, which is how they released it. They released the first four and then they did like one a week. The fourth one ends in a fashion that kind of like goes back to that opening scene in the pilot, which is set in the uh, the Knights Templar, like getting annihilated and like decapitated. And they go back to that sequence and kind of explain it. I guess I would do it like and it goes on from there. This so is a bloody found, show. It Actually, is, is that, but it's is really not. No, no, I don't think so. Because not that's really that the opening, the pilot, the pilot has is very gory, a, but a scene right out of like a Zack Snyder movie where right. people are getting decapitated and and yeah, that's a little bit of a uh, of a mystery. And I also think that like the way he talks about faith, I think is interesting in that like the Betty Gilpin character like has a very specific belief in faith because it's so tangible to her in the way the show is so in, in the second i'm just going to talk about this this is a spoiler too i guess but let's go here we in the go. second episode <laughs> if, in the pilot she is having uh going on missions it seems from a a man who is working in a, a falafel shop who is named jay and the second episode we realize that is actually jesus christ and she is in a relationship a romantic relationship with jesus oh she's a nun married to jesus which is what nuns to- actually say they are so they literalize that. Hallelujah. And again, then <laughs> that kind of by the end, it's like she is wrestling with her faith because like she has to decide to maybe move away from that uh, relationship and how she would she still like believe. Basically, I just found that really compelling as well. I think all the themes are really great. And then I just found it like pretty entertaining. Like it is completely all over the place. They've described it in like a lot of different ways. I've seen comparison, the, the, like the actors compare it to like from like Home Brothers to like Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes to like Shakespeare, like all this shit, this like highfalutin shit. But it really is kind of works. I think if it was anyone other than Betty Gilpin, probably wouldn't work as well. But I do think all of the supporting actors like kind of fit wow. the right tone. And I just found I was it very. Say, you and I are big fans of The Hunt, a movie no one likes. So that's also why I think that's wrote, a good movie. Well, I actually think that's and why I like movie. this too, because I think a lot of the themes of The Hunt are present in this. Because it definitely does not take a side. It's not like a both sides movie or show, but I definitely think it is like very clear eyed about human nature and humanity in a way that The Hunt was as well. And I could see that's why people maybe don't like it. I'm not sure. I don't think that's why Katie doesn't like it because obviously, like you just said, you like The Hunt and you just don't. <laughs> the show doesn't work, but I do think people maybe would be more inclined to be like, we want to demonize like the religious aspect. Of, you know, like none of these people are like demonized, really. I don't think in, at all, and so like I think that like makes it really compelling to me. Yeah, I mean, the hunt is like ten times less manic than Mrs. Davis, and I think my main problem with it is all of that jumping around to all those different genres. Like it was really when you get to the third episode, and they wind up at this event in Scotland where all these men have to touch a sword for as long as possible, like a hands on a hard body kind of thing. Um, (laughs) And I watched it and I cannot remember where that fit into the story at all or why they were there. Um, And there's all like, they're on a quest for the Holy Grail and there's all these little side quests on the way there, but they're all so cutesy and overly detailed. And there's like fake priests and a sneaker commercial and a whale and like a whole past with her parents as magicians played by David Arquette and Elizabeth Marvel, who actually are really great. 
um, there's just so much going on in it. And the, even the episode titles have this like chaotic, like humor to it that gets on my nerves. Like the, those one, like, the titles, six, I believe, were, were written by A.I., I think I read oh, that. Oh, I see. Allison Treasures, like a Southern California story. <laughs> and like, I've gotten to, I've watched all but the last episode at this point. And like, I guess I've established, I don't really understand AI that well on this podcast, but like the role of AI on this, like what this show wants to say about AI, other than like having your phone on all the time, like them being told what you want to hear all the time is not great. is totally unclear. Like the whole premise is this nun Fouling AI, it's like man of science versus man of faith kind of thing, but it's not nearly as cleanly or like understandably laid out as was on Lost, for example, or like Watchmen or like other Damon Lindelof stuff. Um, it just is so all over the place. It got on my nerves. And I think once I had kind of like soured on the tone of it, I just really couldn't come back. Despite there being that- like Betty Gulpin's good, there's a lot of good performances. A lot of what you said character wise is good, Chris, but everything surrounding them made me crazy. It sounds comic, even though it's not based on. I- yeah. on anything it just feels like issue to issue things can be can, can be different i, I don't yeah. know what the reference point for you guys would would be but i, I mean uh, i thought preacher was actually Watchmen, good yeah yeah like, that is what it felt feels like especially in those early episodes i can't do you actually know how it ends uh i read the wikipedia summary i need to watch AI i need to finish you, it man the computers I, I mean, log off <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, like in like Fight Club where they're just like, break the system down. Like they reference Fight good. Club. They definitely reference oh, it in, in it as well. Sure they do. So like literally I mean, directly it, reference Fight Club for the, uh, the. They're submitting it as a limited series at the Emmys. Like, does that mean? Like, but I feel like but it was not presented as a limited series in the so beginning. Ends, like, I mean, I would say it ends like the ending is perfect and it definitely ends literally with like the heroes riding off almost into the sunset. So I would say there was no reason for it to have a second season and they were positioning it in that weird way of like, maybe it would, but I wonder mm. because of the strike, I have no knowledge, but I was like, I'd imagine they're not going to do another one because like right. probably they would have to be already kind of thinking it's about also it. Peacock, which do you think that this show of all the thing, like if Peacock's already not doing well, is this the show that launched Peacock into the stratosphere? It doesn't feel know. like, it doesn't I feel like feel HBO like would have a tough time. With something this weird, I, AMC couldn't make Preacher. Work. No, I, I kind of feel like AMC, would... I think HBO passed on this. Like they've they've been in the Damon Lindelof business enough that you would assume oh, that HBO yeah. would have had the chance to make this and didn't. I mean, I think a way they could do it is like they said, like Beef kind of did this fake thing too, where it was like we can sure. make it as an anthology, right? So like if they ever wanted to come back to Mrs. Davis, they can do like a second season with like different characters. I would imagine different cuts <laughs> of Beef. But do you feel this like this one has, is like, also named Mrs. Davis? Mm-hmm. Does it have more to say about? AI or religion or like like what like what is left to be I mean the hard problem the thing is they wrote this before our current AI boom so it's weirdly outdated by the time it gets to us in its notion but like its vision of AI just doesn't really track with what exists in reality like Mrs. Davis's computer who like everyone has like airpods in and the the computer speaks to her through it and like is in like an all powerful computer, like sending people on missions. Like it's not Westworld was doing this in season three and four. Oh God, you're three. asking me to remember the plot of Westworld. Yep. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Can't stream it anymore. It so was a you're big take orb. Patch's word for what it. What was its name? Rob, Ro- 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 or something. Oh, Rohobom. Rohobom. They definitely have like, I mean, the vision of AI, I feel like is definitely like social. It's, it feels more like social media and definitely more like, people doing things to win clout that is like a main point of the ai in this show that's of like its origins 
So yeah. like they want to get like wings. No basis in reality there. No one would ever do that. And like again, that's what I like about it because I'm like, oh, it feels very realistic to have like a bunch of a humanity that's based on like virtue signaling and yeah. cloud chasing. Chris, Chris is a pretty nihilistic person. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, this tracks. Life and... This all tracks. <laughs> Not a good way. I mean, in an age where the Surgeon General of the United States is issuing warnings about the devastating effect of social media, I guess. It's fair to make some claims, but, but even something that's bringing you don't people really together. see social media on in Mrs. Davis, though. Like, that's not really how it functions, at least from what you but see if on the show. People are chasing cloud and trying to like bow at the yeah, altar. Yeah, they kind of, of are, though, right? Like, that's the like online an, yeah. experience or the AI, then the AI it's is like, more of a substitute like, for being online, right? I think so, yeah. but it's not like the AI is definitely not writing like term papers in this in this show. Yeah, and like it's like it brings up the idea that like the AI gives you like wings that only people with phones can see if you earn some kind of clout, but like then drops it for many episodes and until it comes back and like it just but it just has a lot of balls to keep in the air. It's hard to keep this many parts of a story going and have it all feel like it fits together and keep track of the characters, which is what I felt like I really lost as I was watching it. I loved the. Uh see like I, I could see that but i don't think there's actually a lot of there's not a lot of characters or certainly not a lot that i felt like you needed to care about because you have like yeah Betty. i mean there's the main three yeah, yeah you've got her and her like love triangle basically right. um and, and then but yeah like every time uh chris diamantopoulos comes back as like the australian accent like the guy without a shirt i was just like i'm like get out of here like oh, too much like bit. it's a, it's it's too bit. much i thought that was a good but bit. But like, as I said, like David Arquette and Elizabeth Marvel as her parents, like they have this like angry, sexy relationship that like pops up through flashbacks from time to time. I like them. Does Margaret Martindale come back in the finale? She does. She plays like the okay, thank God. or whatever. Because She's in the first episode. You're like, OK, great. And Margaret Martindale. And then she's just gone for the rest of it. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. plays Betty Gilpin's father. How old is Betty Gilpin? How old is David Arquette? Betty Gilpin's my age, so she's maybe a little bit, so she's 36, she's a little bit younger than me. David oh, Arquette. she's my age. Oh, David wow. Arquette is 51, so uh, he okay. would have had to be a teenager. Possible. But he also, like his character dies him. though also, right? So we could say Yeah, he, that's true. So you see her seeing him in flashbacks. Right. So yeah. He's in flashbacks. It's, uh, and then Elizabeth Marvel is 53, so yeah. They are, they're definitely playing older than they actually are. But David Arquette, he he looks weathered. I gotta say, he looks good. I thought I don't know. I like good. It looks good on him. I would say. Are we yeah. feeling just a little bad that Betty Gilpin, you know, kind of trapped, no. even if it's interesting and cool and maybe a misfire? But like, does she deserve better, or is she? Are we over investing in Betty Gilpin? No, I style? thought this is like a great. She's never. I mean, this like, is what she deserves. Well, no, the, I mean, the hunt is like awesome. Like we're all in on the hunt, and she oh, was like the star. I, of that. I keep a gif of her saying, "You fucked, you up, fucked bitch, up, bitch," on my desk. Best. Absolutely. The I best. mean, she was in the hunt, a movie that was like uniquely cursed with right. like. Like a culture war scandal. I mean, we must have talked about this. I mean, like, it comes out like a week before yeah. COVID. Like, it was a. Should she have. Would She Hulk have been better? I mean, this is. She's like in a, a like lead her. here in like the whole thing. And like, I think it definitely shows a lot of her range because it's like a million yeah, different genres getting, and like, you know, like motions and everything. This show is not that successful, but Chris is right. That would be much less successful without her in it. And like, you know, you're an actor. You get good movies. You get bad movies. Like, I don't know. I think I think this is this is a good argument for her to move on to something else after this. And like, they're going to pretend it was a limited series all along and never have to admit it might have been a failure. Maybe it's what not. What do you going to happen to uh, Rehoboam, you know, after Westworld season three? Dave, did you watch the end of Westworld? You can bounce back. <laughs> uh, I did watch the end of Westworld. 
How does this world end? For, yeah, they, ki- they kill off all the black characters and everybody what? else lives. No, I don't think that, that was real? the agenda, though, right? Like, that's not the point, right? I did not watch uh, the end of Westworld Season 4. Is that the point? Uh, that's not the point, okay, but that okay. is the optics, and Ooh. that's why Ooh. Westworld ended poorly. Man, can I watch this oh, on Tubi? Lord. Where can I watch <laughs> You actually, I, yeah, I, do, I do think it's on a uh, fast F A S T capital F A S T channel somewhere. What does that stand for? I'm googling. Let's see what it says. Who can summon the AI faster to, to do that? Where can we watch the horrible last season of West? Free ad supported streaming television. Okay, that makes sense. Our our fast. beloved Pluto TV is a fast channel. Free V is a fast channel. So really, that would be fast because there's two S's. In fact, I believe Peacock is is a fast. Fast. Uh, if you don't subscribe, that's what Fast and the Furious stands for. It actually stands for free ad supported streaming television and Furious. Uh, we'll get X. there. X <laughs> or ten. Oh well, Mrs. Davis, it's it's over. You can watch it's, all. It's of all on Peacock. I, I think it's worth watching. I actually I think you should watch it, but. I mean, Katie I is like furious about this show. You, <laughs> yeah. you barely chat me anymore, and anytime it is now, it's always, man, wow. Mrs. Davis fucking sucks. <laughs> so. We're, we're going to be litigating something much bigger here. <laughs> All right, fine, Chris. I'll send you my best actress predictions at this no, point. No, we'll, just, uh, we'll start back on like neutral territory. Why did you stop talking to Chris? Is it because <laughs> of Mrs. Davis? No, it wasn't. I don't trust him anymore. His taste in television shows. Um... Yeah, it frustrated me a lot. But I also think if you've watched Betty Gulp and if you miss her from Glow or anything and you feel like you want to see what she can do, watch the first episode. It doesn't drive you totally insane. Uh, maybe you can stick with it. Where do you want to go? We're going to walk over here. Okay. Ella, say hi. Hi. That's Ella Kemp, notorious London editor of Letterboxd, among other things. Is that right? Is that your current title? That is my current title. Uh, everyone, shout your Letterboxd handle at whatever podcast app you're using. Um, I'm David. You know that. Here we are at Cannes. We're actually standing on the terrace of the Palais, the press terrace, uh, overlooking the harbor. A lot of boats. There's some sun. You probably got one of those wherever you are. Uh, some people, some wine, and uh, two movie journalists who are going to talk about the movies that we saw here really quickly. I sprung this on Ella about eight seconds before I hit the recording button uh, because that's when I remembered that I promised Dave that I would do it. Uh, and uh, rather than do it on Ambient alone in my hotel room, I actually ran out of Ambient, so it's not even an option right now, using Sominex, which uh, I got over the counter at JFK and it did not work out very well last night. Uh, a lot of like sweat and awesome. bad sleep and I woke up feeling like I got hit by a train sure. but uh, now I'll have someone to talk to once Hi. I stop monologuing yeah and uh, someone I love dearly and has seen a lot of movies here uh, it's it's Ella Kemp so Ella movies what do you think about them I love them love to watch the movies yeah 
Uh, sometimes, right? Sometimes, not all the not time. Always. Yeah. Some movies are less good than yeah. others. Uh, but there are good movies here, right? There can. Are. Did you feel like this was a good can? Good can? I, Bad can? I feel can like tell? this was a very good can. Um, I was here last year, and at the time I thought it was a good can, but now this year I couldn't tell you anything that played last year, partly because my memory's terrible. But mm, partly you're getting old. You just I'm, turned 27. You're basically I'm, decrepit. I am. It's yeah. my time. It's, it's over. Um, <laughs> it's like Julia Pinoche in the movie we just saw, who's just talking. Oh, not Julia Pinoche, it's her husband. Yes. Uh, Benoit, Benoit Magimel. Benoit Magimel. Magimel, who in uh, Pot au Feu, and that's another title also. Le, la Passion du Dodin Bouffant. There you go. Uh, or who's talk, constantly talking about how they're in the autumn of their lives. Sure. That was the last movie we saw. It just ended a little while ago, and uh, I <laughs> thought it was incredibly beautiful. David wept. I did. It is uh, two hours and ten minutes of the most hardcore food porn you've seen since Big Night or Babette's Feast, but much more French and uh, lovely. Um, but... Typically, going movie by movie is the most boring way of doing things. Even though there's some big movies this year, mm. right? We saw Killers of the Flower Moon. We did. We did. We Both saw... loathed it. No. I, oh, my God. I <laughs> no, I loved it more than you. I yeah. think it's an all-timer. Like really? I, th I think it's a can all-timer. I think it's an all-time all-timer. Mm. Um, and my so sure expectations weren't... They weren't not high because, you know, we know who we're talking about. But, um, no, I found it so emotional. And mm. it really, really floored me. Um, and, I, you know, I feel like a bit of a... I felt a bit like a bit of a sellout saying that the best movie was the Martin Scorsese one. Well, that's what makes it Martin Scorsese. Right, right? yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I really uh, thought it was very, very strong. Mm. I'm not quite sold on the shape of it and the what its focus chooses to be and how it shears that mythic story into, you know, what it decides to lock in on. Um, but it, I think it will reward future viewings and more importantly I am interested in watching it again which is not something mm. I can necessarily say about the Irishman yeah I um, agree because he's very much I think they are sort of a piece in this sort of late career milieu they have a similar rhythm to them in a way if not similar focus although Killers of the Flower Moon is unexpectedly kind of a gangster movie in the classic right. Scorsese vein yeah. um, which is not necessarily the vibe I would have gotten from reading the book no. um, but it is the movie he made and uh, probably annoying one to talk about because it's not going to see the light of day for so long no and October. also I mean I would advise anyone to ignore everything about the ending as much as you can because I think the ending of this film is pretty spectacular and well it's it's not I mean I don't disagree with that but it's not like a a plot twist or anything like that no. it's just it's just a little grace note to the film yeah. that is handled well uh, and also allows Scorsese to have an opportunity to sort of make note of his responsibility as a white sure. filmmaker telling the story yeah. um, and maybe you know the qualifiers that come along with that. Um, but, Speaking of the yeah. responsibility of white filmmakers, mm. one film that we did agree on, uh, Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest. Mm. Yeah. Which absolutely floored me. You, you, you kind of warned me and you kind of saw it a little bit before me and said... I asked if it was boring, which is which is on me, you know, because I'm very tired <laughs> at every point totally of the festival. Fair question yeah, in any context, right? Of and and you were like, no, not much happens, but you'll never be bored, and you were correct. I was more I, just in a constant state of horror. Yeah, I felt like frozen in horror for yeah. two hours, and then I had to bolt out of the palais because I couldn't talk to anyone about it. Lovely, felt, yeah. For for those of you who may not know. Jonathan Glazer is the filmmaker made Under the Skin. That was his last movie. It was uh, 10 years ago. Ten now, years no, ago. nine years ago. No, it was 2014. 
I guess it premiered in the fall of 2013, so mm -hmm. 10 years ago, and yeah. came out in 2014. Um, and this is an adaptation of the now late, it was not late at the time the festival started, Martin, that's how long we've been here, Martin yeah. Amos, uh, and is a, uh, I mean, it, it's going to be impossible to talk about the movie without talking about the premise, but it yeah. is the kind of thing where um, to approach the premise in real time while you're watching it would be an extraordinary experience. Yeah. Um, I think the only way I could describe it is that, like, it's a movie set in the Holocaust unlike anything I have ever seen to do with the Holocaust. And it's like, I thought you couldn't do that anymore. I thought there was no way that you could be like you've not seen the Holocaust like this. And that's what this film did, it, I think. It's a remarkable uh, new addition to the ongoing conversation about how to depict atrocities as right. it regards the Holocaust. And I think this movie comes about it in a radically different way than yeah. so many Holocaust movies have, um, in, in a very formally rigorous way, as you might expect from Jonathan Glazer, if you've seen mm -hmm. any of his previous films. Uh, and it is... Uh, it's cold. It's, it's ice cold, and mm -hmm. it's very alien. Uh, yeah. Not in the literal under the skin sense, but in and it's like it's horrifically sense. calm. And yeah, there's not, not a there's not a drop of violence in it. No, that's like I was concerned about this going into it. I was like, am I going to feel very upset by the sort of physical displays of violence? And I was supremely upset, but not because of that in any yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, it's it hasn't sat well with some people who didn't. If you reject the conceit of the movie. Um, the concept doesn't change from the first sure. couple of minutes, and so it is possible. It's, it's, it could be very polarizing, but yeah. I also think it is probably the most likely film to end up winning the Palme d'Or. I'd like weekend. that to be the case. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another movie I would love to win. Although I was surprised to find that I was maybe not in the minority, but that my feelings were not at all widely shared was uh, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, which... Oh my god, I'd love that to win, but there's no there's no way in the world that we live in that that movie will win anything. Well, and I will not. happily eat my hat, my notebook, my well, pen, everything if I'm wrong. Uh, well, be careful, because one of the co-hosts on this podcast, Matt Patches, said that uh, that he would eat a shoe if they ever made a Top Gun 2, and then they did, and he made a shoe and ate it. Wow. And uh, you can watch that film on the internet. That's fine. Um, I'll, I'll do that. Top Gun 2, Top Shoe. And uh, that is what it's called. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't think Wes Anderson needs a Palme d'Or, but no. uh, I did think that this was easily his best film since the Grand Budapest Hotel, Same. and maybe you know as poignant as anything he's ever made. It's so moving, and it's it's got. I think I've I've seen a lot of people say that it's very confusing, that the sort of framing devices are a bit convoluted, which I think is it's not unfamiliar in terms of like we knew that was going to happen, right? Um, but for me, then once you're in the world that he's taking you into. I think it's very straightforward, and I say that as like a beautiful, good thing in terms of, you know, themes of love and grief and existence and am I messing everything up in my life? I'm just like, yeah, I get this. You are. Same. I'm sorry. I know. Um, and but, and that's I mean, why I'm upset. You're doing a podcast with me right. right now in the south of France, so uh, as opposed to doing anything else. So you've made some mistakes along the way. But I think <sighs> that uh, what I found so interesting and moving about it is that it's a film about sort of confronting the unknown in life and in, you know, through the context of, of losing someone that you love. And that is the one thing that has always been, I think, the biggest source of uh, neurosis and anxiety for Wes Anderson's characters. They live in these hyper-constructed realities where they act as if they know everything and uh, are going to be living these outsized, grandiose ideas of themselves, I think, out of a fear of the unknown. And I think what makes this such a radical addition to his body of work is that you know, the moment when uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox sees the wolf or when mm. or when Steve Zissou sees the tiger shark, that moment is at the start of the movie now. Yes. And now you have two entire acts after that for these characters to sort of just get lost in uh, what yeah. having their 
worlds expanded like that and having that sense of control taken away from them can yeah. give. And I think he does really beautiful things with it. Yeah, he really does. Like that pin drop moment in the in the first act, I was like, am I hallucinating this? Because I don't understand how he and his team would have consciously spent hours and days and months putting this together and I'm thrilled that they did I was just like I didn't think he did stuff like this with his movies anymore mm. like it felt pure magic well there are so many other movies to talk about uh, 10 minutes is usually what I'm going for here and we do have friends waiting for us for dinner I would shout out quickly maybe Justine Trier's Anatomy of a Fall uh, which is uh, continues the decision to leave trend if you saw in like that movie of great Cannes films about whether or not a woman pushed her husband off a very <laughs> tall ledge uh, we should have one every year that's something mm -hmm. to look forward to so one random movie you'd want to give a shout out I'm going to shout out Jason Yu's debut feature Sleep oh, just because Jason I didn't Yu. get to see it thanks just because wow. you didn't get wow. to see it and everyone else should mm. um, Jason Yu cut his teeth working with Bong Joon-ho and Lee Chang-dong um, and and Lee Chang-dong I didn't know yeah, that actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes it even even more yeah and like, like and yeah the movie premiered in Critics Week which is one of the sidebars which first of all is a very long walk away from Central mm. but it's very worthwhile same bar same sidebar that After Sun premiered mm -hmm. in and Keep it's um, yeah it's just like a kind of perfect debut feature a thriller that will um, keep you awake even at 10pm screening in the middle of a festival when you have slept about 7 hours in 2 days oh, um, brag you got 7 hours oh of sleep God, over 2 I'm days so cool um, but no it's, well. like, it's so good and it's you know the kind of movie that when you kind of fall asleep in it you're like I'm, I'm not too concerned because I know I'm going to rewatch mm. this quite a few times um, well, all, it's so fun all the other films we talked about have uh, including as recently as the Justine Trier and we didn't even mention Todd Haynes made December which oh, what a hoot. Uh, regrettably was picked up by Netflix but it's a phenomenal movie yes um, it, they have distribution sleep does not have American distribution yet as far as I'm aware uh, but I would imagine in the climate in which we live and given its pedigree uh, and the response that it got especially from one Ella Kemp Hi. that distribution is not far off so you will be able to see all of these movies um, at the very latest in October for the Scorsese um, and I would imagine the zone of interest will probably come out around that time if not a little bit later and Wes Anderson's movie will be out in June uh, and uh, the cinema it's back kind of and we, oh and then Padafu or The Passion of Dodi Boffin yes this movie has two titles and I can say neither of them um, but uh, we have no idea when that's going to come out I think also doesn't have distribution but who knows you know. French people making food that'll get snapped up yeah it'll be a matter of time uh, okay well yeah we did it no <laughs> drugs involved uh, gonna get on a plane tomorrow and come home and I'll uh, be back on this show next week I suppose Ella Say goodbye. Tell Bye. people where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Ella underscore Kemp. You can find me on Letterboxd, Ella Kemp, or one word. You can find me on Girls on Tops. And your home address? Uh -huh. My home address <laughs> right now is Do you Cam. have social security numbers? What if oh, they give you Oh, we don't. National insurance? Yeah. I don't know. You can find me on the internet being noisy about <laughs> women making movies. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having no choice to you roped into this in the oh, last minute. I love Bye. it. Listeners, you know what car sounds means. It's time for us to review Fast 10, Fast X. Uh, please be aware, if you're spoiler-averse, the segment devolves into Chris and I just explaining the entire plot, including post-credit scenes. Uh, but if you like that, here you go. All right, Fast 10. Vroom, vroom. It was vroom, vroom. Oh, that's pretty I good.
I saw it early last week. It got released in theaters. Apparently, none of my co-hosts saw it. So I we had got a really tough Chris weekend, back. Okay? I, I I, you know what? I forgot. You know what? <laughs> you made your choice. You chose your family. And I you chose know what? Not to see two and a half hours of fast content. Of Dominic Trito's family. Here's the good news, Patches. Fast 10 uh, approves of your choice. Uh, second, you will absolutely have to see this movie before you see the next one, I assume. Uh, then again, uh, like I said, it's been like a week since I've seen it, and much like uh, the ninth one and the eighth one, it's fastly fading from my memory. But before it fades completely, Chris, what did you think about Fast 10? So I preface this by saying I'm not the biggest Fast and Furious franchise fan. I think all these movies have some light merit, but not really the most uh, successful. That said, I thought this was way better than nine and eight because I like I highly <laughs> enjoyed it. I think it is completely stupid, uh, just fully television as a movie, not even hiding the fact that it's a big TV show. And I was in and just like, is that a character thing or is that a look of the movie? Both. Thing? It what looks like it shit. Television? I thought it was looked like pretty cheap. This one myself and the visual effects are, are not great. Uh, but also the way they just structure the whole thing. It feels like I think I, and I'm not I, I, I feel like I, I felt like this before I saw, read this interview. But I think Louis Leterrier, our, our favorite uh, filmmaker, he was like, oh, to try to keep everything straight. I had like I treated it like a television show because I had in like uh, post-it notes with all the characters. And that's really what it is. Oh, he it's said that like, on Polygon. Thank you. So there you go. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know where I read it, but I did read it. So there you go. I gave a you a fine, play. fine news outlet. Uh, but no, it. it's like really is like TV because it's just like, OK, Vin is going to be here doing some bullshit. And then we're going to put John Cena with Vin's kid and the the, the B squad is going to be off on a mission. And then they'll kind of connect with Jason Statham. And it's all going to end in a crazy cliffhanger that literally has no resolution. And the season finale will pick up again in a year or two and we'll see what happens next. So I don't know. I really I like. I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. I liked it way more than like a lot of recent Marvel movies as well, but I don't think it's any good, but I did not hate it nearly as much <laughs> as a lot of people seemingly did. Yeah. I want to co-sign on that. Uh, very bad movie. That being said, the first like 15, 20 minutes, I was having a very bad time because I was treating it like a movie. What and I'm the, like, you can't, what is the setup ahead. here? Can you, can you, I, I'm, it's I'm amazing how it. much I have like seen about this movie clips of this movie. People talk about this movie. No clue what this movie is about, other than Jason Momoa from Fast Five is angry oh, yeah. that his dad died. And, and, yeah, yeah, that's the the that, and the Hoover Dam is cut, shows up. So here's, uh, we have, the beginning of the movie is just the end of Fast Five, like we talked about last week. Yep. Except they've uh, inserted Jason Momoa uh, into the plot um with some insert shots uh and so uh light light de-aging on Forrest actors Gump that... is there meeting uh <laughs> kennedy Jason momoa, yeah. <laughs> so uh at, we learn that uh momoa is going to avenge his father so he uh comes after dominic toretto and his family um and the thing that sort of ups the ante here is for the past few movies Dom's family has been working for the agency, which is like a uh, James Bondish sort of preventing crime by hiring out, uh, you know, fast drivers who could take a car into space, <laughs> if you recall, and allowing them to do work for the government on behalf of the government. 
but the agency is uh, very quickly uh, turned against Dominic Toretto when Jason Momoa's character threw a car chase that I think is the moment that I realized what the tone of the movie was. Uh, there's a circular bomb in contrast to the square safe we've just seen, mm -hmm. but the circular bomb is rolling towards the Vatican. And rather than try to block it or stop it, they sort of uh, bumper car slash bumper motorcycle it further towards the Vatican for some reason. Um, and Jason Momoa was loving it. And if you've seen none of the previous Fast movies, know that uh, these actors don't get along anymore. So they have radios that they're all on, constantly on their own. <laughs> like everybody knows the channel. Even the bad guys know the fucking channel, the radio. So everybody's talking to each other, but nobody's in a two shot because everybody hates Vin Diesel, apparently, which fine. Uh, Dom is able to save the Vatican by doing a what I would describe now in the post tears of the Kingdom Age is a very Legend of Zelda <laughs> trick. Wow. Where he attaches a crane to his car to swing around and hit now, the ball off into a river with the car. Dope. <laughs> now, now that's what, when that happened. I'm like, look, this was a horrible buildup. It's been like 35 minutes. But if this is what, like, if this is the level I'm supposed to believe happens, both physics and for characters, then I can meet you at this level. And it is very episodic, which helps because by the time you get back to Dom, you realize that he is on like this forward motion where he constantly ends up where he's supposed to be for reasons that I don't entirely understand. And nobody else does either. I don't know why he's not with his team for most of this movie. It's like they're coming after me. <laughs> and like Jason, Jason Will was coming after everybody. Um, so is Dom on the right side of history, he, uh, saving the Vatican? I gotta say, uh, well, he mostly wins when he wins the Nine Years War, and it's uh, not great for the Catholics. he mostly saves I, it. I think he kind of like splits yeah. the difference, it kind of gets most a little bit of damage, not because he there, sinks the bomb in the, in the water, I think, right? Isn't that what happens? Yeah, he sinks the bomb in the water, which decreases its times. explosive power. Ramsey knows yeah. it's by 10 times, she just goes like 10 times, it's great. It's like a fucking Bruce Almighty, she's over there like this on the laptop, <laughs> yeah. Well, at that point, she's actually running away with two of our other characters. So they're like, and she's on Langdon a laptop, but they're also like in a tunnel. Anyway, they're all on the same fucking radio frequency. You, I don't know how the cops don't pick these people up. It, none of it makes any sense or lick of sense because they're working with the agency and Jason Momoa's character is trying to set them up as like international terrorists. But everyone knows they're working with the agency, it seems. And then... He, they, the bomb goes off and then everyone's like, oh, well, they're obviously bad guys. I'm like, it doesn't really make any sense. Like, not a single person would be like, oh, they're bad guys. Like, it just like really doesn't track at all. But they just kind of go with it. Today's I kind of want you guys to explain the whole plot. So of the movie. today's uh, point, there are a few scenes. <laughs> I was actually thinking of this while you were talking. There are a few scenes where he actually is with any of the real cast because it's like there's a scene of Vin with Rita Moreno, who plays Vin's grandmother. First sure. time we've ever, mm -hmm. He loves the family so much that the first time in 10 movies we've seen a grandparent is now. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Totally tracks. Family. And there's a scene with uh, with Han, uh, Sung Hang. And then he's mostly in it with like Momoa or Daniela Melchior. Uh, oh, I forget her name. Is it Mel Melchior? Uh, she was in Suicide Squad. She plays uh, a sister of his dead, dead wife baby or mama. baby mama character from like five uh, and I don't six. know if they got married. Is Jordana Brewster dead? Oh no, no we're talking about the it. other one. Um, Chris Elsa Hemsworth's Pataki, wife. Chris Hemsworth's wife's sister yeah. is played by a woman who is in Suicide Squad. 
Uh, so Vin's in a scene with her and he has like one scene with Helen Mirren. And then really, he's not with any of the original cast. I mean, honestly, Helen Mirren back. Wow. Yeah. Helen Mirren has one scene. Uh, the plot of the movie is so they have their big barbecue at the beginning. Everyone's like family. Huh? How about that? It's mm-hmm, going to be great. Mm-hmm. And gonna- that should have been my first hint that there was a cliffhanger at the end of this movie. Because I'm like, we're at the barbecue already. <laughs> Rita Moreno gives a speech and chastises Tyrese for being just an absolute gross pig eating his food or something. I don't even know what happens in that scene. Uh, <laughs> then they go off on this mission that Tyrese is running. It's his big, big first time running a mission. They're all so excited. And then Jason Momoa messes everything up. And then the rest of the movie is like David's saying, like, it makes no sense. Dom is just he goes to Brazil to drag race and then immediately meets up with Momoa again. And then uh, I don't even know what I literally don't even know what happens, but they end up. So, OK, <laughs> I, I can make I can make this slightly more Please. clear. So after the Bob <laughs> almost blows up the Vatican, they realize that Dom's they frame Dom's teams as terrorists, but they have Letty. And so oh, they right. take Letty to a secret prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> that part's great. Yeah. <laughs> to a black site. A, they take her to a black site where eventually uh, she realizes that Cypher is also there because great. she showed yes. up earlier in this movie. Uh, Charlize uh, well, Theron. That's Charlize Theron. Next yes, her performance. Uh, Cypher. Uh, Top yeah. 10 greatest villains of all time in movies. Um, and then we meet uh, the daughter of Mr. Nobody, who was played by Kurt Russell. But apparently Mr. Nobody has uh, gone into hiding in a way that makes it so obvious Kurt Russell's in the next one. I thought he died. Uh, <laughs> so he, he was in, a, I want to rewatch nine. The plane crashes in the, his plane crashes. We never see his body. So but nobody just, dies in these movies. No. If you get yeah. caught in an explosion, oh, you're actually behind got, the explosion. You're actually, you even, I haven't even, yeah, yeah. I haven't even gotten to the nobody dies part yet. That's at the end. When you say <laughs> nobody <laughs> dies, you do you even... mean Mr. Nobody or according to Wikipedia, uh... little nobody played by Scott Eastwood? <laughs> he doesn't die at all. No, they say he says I'm going to kill him and then nothing. He never he doesn't die and they don't show him ever again. So I guess he'll pop up in the next. Well, you got to oh, keep great. Scott Eastwood. I mean, the fans like he's the most famous and charismatic movie star. Oh. We've got. Well, we have a new nobody. It is his daughter, Tess, played by Brie Larson. Oh, right. While the agency is turning against these guys, Brie Larson's like, I'm going to secretly help them. And she finds Dom and she's like, if you're going to, you know, come at this guy, he's in Rio. So she gets Dom to Rio and then she goes to the black site to attempt to get uh letty out uh which is kind of nonsense because she does it just by getting her uh put into like the medical wing where cypher breaks her out it's a whole bunch of nonsense like the rest of this movie Mm -hmm. and uh while this is all happening uh the uh oh god uh nathalie emmanuel who ramsey that's her character's name and uh Ludacris <laughs> and Tyrese. So who cares what their characters' names are? Tej and Roman. And Roman. Thank you. Uh, they are trying to get the group's money back because Jason Momoa has hacked all of the accounts and he's actually using all the money the Fast Team has accumulated since mm-hmm. five to hire mercenaries to go after everybody. And uh, first, they go to Pete Davidson. Great. I I found that to be a great cameo. I know this is a contentious bit, but I thought he was really funny. He was quite funny. I got no desire. It's all peacock cross promo within the NBC Universal family. 
Oh my Van god. Han. This is this is like this is like a Super Bowl promo for Peacock. Yes. <laughs> but the movie. Yeah. Then Han shows up uh to say that or then Han suggests that they go to see uh Shaw, Shaw Jason Statham, picking up on the post credit scene of Fast Nine. Uh but Han has a different haircut, what was don't worry the about it. Post-credit scene. It was it was, it was there, you... I ask. The post credit uh, scene. Jason yeah. Statham's beating a heavy bag with a person in it. Just because he's a badass. And then the door, he gets a knock on the door and he opens it and it's Han, which is confusing because he thought he killed Han. And Han's now working with Jason Statham? Well, that's a contentious uh, bit of Fast and Furious mythology because everyone hated Statham because he killed Han. And then in the eighth movie, he saved Vin's son, who is now grown and was like at the barbecue. And everyone was like, what the fuck? You killed Han. And then that became the Justice for Han movement that was very popular. Okay, I have heard of Justice life. for Han. Then they brought Han back to life in a completely convoluted fashion. Yeah, he was standing and behind the explosion. They never, uh, they never really rectified the idea. And Mr. Nobody was there. <laughs> Mr. Nobody was there. They never really rectified the idea that Shaw still like attempted to murder one of the Fast family members. And so True. this was set up maybe to rectify that. At least that was the idea in the post credit scene. But Dave, as we saw in the movie, it still doesn't, they don't really give a shit. <laughs> So that's why there's a part two. <laughs> immediately when they get together, somebody tells uh, Shaw that his mom's on the hit list and he drives the fuck out of the movie. That's it. He's got to go save Helen wanted, Mirren. That's it. You want to see oh, Helen Jason Mirren Statham? as his mom? Too bad. Yes. Uh, okay. So, uh, so put the, this put a, on the next put a hold on that. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, we'll probably get some um, more. Let me uh, unspool some more yarn here. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's next? Uh, Okay, so in Rio, uh, Dom meets uh, the sister of the person he had a baby with. Uh, as uh, Chris mentioned before, uh, she has podcast. Yes, I mm-hmm. she has a whole file that her sister brought up on the Reyes family, which includes all the retconned information about sociopath sociopath Jason Momoa. I have to I pause uh, there. Dante Reyes. Dave, that that was, that was a great scene to me because it was such bad. It was such like clearly just like give up writing because she was just like oh you know i do have a folder it has all this information that would be relevant to this movie and it's like <laughs> okay i guess sure like no that's, that's video it. game logic press a to open folder <laughs> and learn really, <laughs> the next level this is completely ridiculous and it's awesome. hilarious because she's living in the same flavella She's just replaced the pictures with pictures of her dead sister. But it's like, it's the exact same place. And Dom stands staring out the same window, not looking at the person who's talking to uh, him. It is incredibly oh, frustrating. Wow. Uh, wait, uh, while we're in Brazil, uh, I, I'm looking at Wikipedia and it says that Ava Mendes actually appears in this film again. Is that, is that true? Because she was in the post credit scene in Fast Five, appearing as her character from Too Fast, Too Furious. But I don't mm-hmm. think she ever reappeared and was like in another fast movie for any reason i would be shocked if she was in this movie is she in this uh, movie? she appears she appears through archive footage okay. so part of the jason momoa bond villain formula as you know is threatening phone calls with people when they walk into dark areas and then screen lights up showing all the other flash mo- fast movies so we know you know who's involved and what what's being avenged uh, it gets the illusion of continuity. It, it happens twice in the movie. Once I was just getting to. So in this file, it turns out that Reyes always owned the police station from Fast Five. That is his property for some fucking reason. 
Why didn't he always just keep all of his money there in the safe? Why did he spread it out to other houses in Fast Five? Who gives a shit? So Dom's like, surely that's where I could, you know, beat Jason Momoa. And he goes there and there's a fucking projectors and a serial killer wall. And that's where the plan has been made uh, to attack Dom. Blah, 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 blah. This whole time this is happening, uh, John Cena, who, as you recall, is, despite how it might look, Dom Shredo's brother. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's been, um, Jordana Brewster gives him the directive to protect little B. That Wait, is hang on. Little Brian. Let me pause for a second. Is this the first time we've met his, Dom having a brother also? Like, just like no, his grandmother? He was okay. the villain in Fast 9. And then in this movie, oh. they retcon him to play Peacemaker instead of whatever he was doing in Fast yes. No, They're just like, is this like wrestling? Is they're this like, what wrestling does? Like, like where you just like shift people around? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good analogy, Katie. Like you can be the heel and then you can be the champion. I mean, you could you could do. Everything and like people if, don't really seem to mind the way this is all. Changing I think you around. have to build to it because the audience could turn on it. I don't I don't sure. think that's totally true. You have to. I mean, there's great writing in wrestling, but. The way I, I think that Vin Diesel's connection is probably more to he has compared the Fast series in this press cycle to Tolkien and sure. like building mm. epic narrative. But mm-hmm. I would have to imagine that wrestle with all these wrestlers in the orbit of the series that people think of this series as just like, okay, who's the heel this round? And then how do they become part of the menagerie of the, yeah. the franchise, which is another word that the wrestling would use. Um, yeah, I think that's if, I think that's if, apt. If that's if that's true, John Cena and Jason Momoa are maybe the two people that best understand what this fucking movie is. Because <laughs> mm. John Cena's on a me and my my little nephew road trip that like could involve lots of weird violence, but they find weird ways to sort of avoid that, even visually. So it really is him playing little comedy scenes uh, with a child. I think it works. Does it need to be here? Probably not. <laughs> but then you realize at the end it needs to be there because he's the one who dies this movie. Dies. Supposedly. Quote unquote. He, I don't he, I don't He doesn't know. just die. He 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 unveils a retrofitted cannon car, I would call it. It's got a massive tank tur- like turrets on the side that blow up all the bad guys. They definitely guys. call it a cannon car. And yeah. uh and then as he's chasing, he's got the boy in the car and uh Dante is chased. This is in the third act, and Dante is chasing them, and Vin is trying to get in there too, and it's a big stupid mess. And then uh, the boy decides to go out of the car while it's moving, and immediately gets kidnapped. It's one of the most hilarious uh, scenes I think <laughs> in the whole world. Like Dante literally gets pulls up and with a like, net. You okay. pretty much he does honestly like pulls up by his foot. I think a hook, and, and then uh, they're running. They're they're trying to escape and catch him or whatever. And then uh, John Cena decides he's going to sacrifice himself. So he he turns his car into oncoming traffic, flips over, and the entire cannon car explodes, taking out like 40 other cars. So Vin could like jump and go get his son from Dante. Incredible moment. Yes. It's just so good. <laughs> I don't believe for one solitary second that John Cena is dead. I am sure he will come back in the next one. They give him they give him <laughs> 10 total seconds of slow motion score time to be like, there he goes. And then just move on and don't talk about it. Because after Dom gets his kid back, they get to the fucking uh, dam. The Hoover Dam. <laughs> the Hoover Dam. 
And Jason Momoa was like, you thought you beat me, but this is where I wanted everything to come together. The other group of people have gotten their money back, supposedly, and are coming on a plane. And they're like, on the radio, because everybody's still on the same fucking radio channel. <laughs> they're like, Dom, buddy, cavalry's here. We're coming to get you. Immediately, Jason Momoa was like, boom, rocket, shoots the plane down. The plane does one of those things where it goes around the mountain and we see an explosion. So like, great, we'll see them later. How are they fucking survived? Uh, and um, they start two bomb cars, I think, <laughs> driving from either end of the dam towards Dom and Little B in the middle. And uh, Dom is like, you know, never say die or some shit. And he drives down the dam and then the cars hit each other and the explosion starts chasing him down the dam. Just in case you thought physics were still in play. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. Down the dam. And then they stop. They bail out of the car. Him and Little B swim to the side. It's like, oh my God, we're safe. And then they turn around and the entire dam is bombed. And as we look up and we realize that he's about to bring the dam down on him. End of movie. Oh wow, that is a cliffhanger. Well, end end of end of that movie, that part of the movie. Yeah, end of end of that movie. This is not being like, advertised as a part two, right, no, or as a part no, one. It is, it is. It is at least a part so, one of maybe a part series. We knew there was one more. Series. We knew yes. there was going to be one more. So that's how the the Vin storyline ends with the B Squad crashing in the plane. Then we cut smash cut to Antarctica, which is where the black site uh, is, and uh, Charlize and Letty, who is Michelle Rodriguez, come out of this prison after spending hours beating up goons or whatever they had done to escape. And uh, they open up the thing and it looks like literally like the thing it reminded me of. Dave. Did you think that like it just it looked like so stupid, like oh, there's just carpenter rip off nothing. nothing there, just yeah, like yeah. snow and ice. And out of nowhere, a nuclear submarine that you might recall, they hijacked in the eighth <laughs> movie and then later exploded. So that has been mm -hmm. resurrected. Uh, yes. Pops up out of his car over and used it and knocked so the bomb off up, his car. That pops up out of the ice and it's sure. probably there on his like. I told you I had a way out. Uh, the uh, door opens or the sub hatch opens and out comes uh, Giselle or Giselle played by Gal Gadot. Uh, oh, what? That's, what? that's how she's back. She died yeah, in the sixth movie. Dead. She, got she thrown definitely off died. Washington uh, enough champagne to fill the Arctic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> that was a true. So that was a true shock for me. I got to say, I did not. I was not spoiled for that. And I was just like, what the fuck? He's back. Well, but then there's another comeback right at the end, so right? Then, that's, then that is the end, and then they go to the credits, and it's like, oh, yeah. there's there's Giselle. She's going to be back for the next one, another resurrected uh, hero. Third, if you're keeping count, because Letty was resurrected, and then Han, obviously, yep. and now and Giselle. And then they cut to a post credit scene where a bunch of the agency goons who are all masked up are breaking, and I think, I guess that's the police station, right, that we had seen previously? Is that right? I don't think it's visually clear where it was, because it was in some warehouse soundstage at the last second definitely felt like it was in a warehouse three weeks ago that they put this together maybe like a couple of months ago and when the deal got is, signed is dwayne johnson's favorite thing to do which is just like take to a soundstage and shoot a post-credit scene and uh i don't even think he's in the opening like a lot of that part i was like i didn't think the body matched up dave what did you think like i was just like it didn't look like it but then he eventually is in the same kind of situation that dom was where it's like a bunch of like scream. It also looks like scream, like especially the latest scream where they're like in the museum of scream. Mm. And so like he pulls up and then Jason Momoa is like, you know, Dom killed my father, but you pulled the trigger and they cut to Dwayne Johnson shooting uh, Reyes in the fifth movie uh, on the bridge. 
And then Dwayne Johnson pulls off his mask, literally looking at the camera and is like, you know where to find me, some bitch. And he crushes the phone and that's it. And we're back and he's back in the franchise and he will be on a phone talking to a stand in for Vin Diesel in the 11th <laughs> one. And I cannot wait. I was waiting. Don't, don't this is a movie that that, that began, was... began showing us the entire Fast Five car chase, but ends when Jason Momoa goes off the side. Because if they would have shown the whole thing, you would have realized he was chasing the wrong fucking person the whole movie. <laughs> That's why this is hilarious. Fast does not give a shit. This is like my favorite type of like franchise where it's just like none of it matters except internally the movie pretends it matters. But none of it matters. It is, it's all a reason to do car fights and other types of fights that are not necessary. But uh, yeah, I really like how Chris described it like as a bad movie. This is a bad movie that I had fun with after the first 30 minutes, just because I just sunk into it. And it is insane to me that there's so much need for this series to go on. They will allow it to devolve into the type of movie where Vin Diesel's the lead, but nobody wants to be in a scene with him. <laughs> nobody knows why he's doing anything. It's just like, it's... The weirdest fucking thing. There's a, there's a part, of, and this is, the, this is, I mean, I was already weighing in on this, but in the last act, the, the car chase is just unhinged. Chase uh, Mo has got his guys coming with helicopters, and they're gonna, they shoot like pylons into into Vin Diesel's car to like pull it up, and he is so he's so strong, he's able to drive the helicopters into each other. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like literally like this at the screen like yes <laughs> it looks like they might pull him up but then he turns on the nods and that's you know that what that means I mean Dave you say like, they're like willing for the franchise to turn into this but like it started off as this like niche car street racing genre then like got big in Fast Five and when we talked about this like why isn't this like the natural place where these movies should go I mean, I think it is. I think they just it took from eight to now to get to this balance, because I think eight is absolutely stupid and also knows it is in like a fun sort of way. They're like, what if we were Pierce Brosnan era James Bond, which is a stupid idea, but like go go with God and have a clear path ahead of you. The street racing ones are just like we want to be cool street racing things. They don't let themselves be as dumb as they possibly could. And so bringing it sort of beyond cars but also insisting that cars are still part of it is part of this entire thing where this movie is eating itself as you're watching it and you're just like yeah go go for it movie <laughs> do something that is so dumb that i don't see it coming and i know that there's helicopter piloting from the fucking trailer <laughs> and they did they did they got there um so i Maybe we'll watch this one more time before Fast XX, Fast Eleven. Before it all whatever. exits your brain entirely. I, yeah, uh, I would watch it again. I was watching nine, not in. I didn't finish wow. it before I went to see ten, and I was like, "Man, nine's not good." I didn't think nine was really fun, but it also had a lot more. Like, I just think they're right for the, for whatever reason, they feel like very apropos of whatever era they're in. So, like the. The street racing ones felt like very of that time, right? Like the early 2000s, totally. like the tone of those movies were new like new metal, uh, and new metal, like kind of <laughs> shit, right? And then like, like time, yeah. even nine, nine felt like more of like a streaming era movie because it like sets up all that prequel bullshit of like 
young Vin chronicles that they could have done on Peacock, probably, right? That they never mm. did. There's like 45 minutes, a good 45 minutes of that movie that is like a TV pilot. And then this one is just like fucking red notice plus like anything. I don't know. It just is like Whoa. we just give up and like just throw all the famous people in it and like we'll do like Marvel shit, I guess. But like, see, that sounds depressing. Yeah, but it's so fun. I don't know. I don't think it's depressing. It's I mean, so, it's bad, is it but so it, fun. Like, how do these was. movies live it in a John was. Wick world? I don't. Really I got. I get. actually. I thought this was like we both. We saw John Wick together, and I we actually did. thought this was much better than John Wick. It's an easier sit, first of all. John Wick was so um, tedious. I thought. And well, this John Wick is way more violent. Like these movies are so cartoony that they're mm. like John Wick's pretty cartoony. At least the last okay. one I thought was. I don't know. I mean, these are less bloody, aren't they? I mean, they're PG thirteen. Yeah. Yes, these are definitely less bloody. I'm not going to take my child to see Fast and Furious, I promise. But Patches, I will say this. Uh, Louis Leterrier is no Justin Lin. Gasolina is back for the Rio road race. Uh, I was very happy. It's in my notes. Gasolina, double underline. (laughs) So they definitely do throw back to the The reggaeton roots. That's what's good about Fast Five. I'm there I mean, for it. Early 2000s nostalgia is very invoked. So, you they know. love the fan. This is a franchise for the fan. Hashtag fans. This is absolutely, yeah. Fans and the fans of the family. And it's still hilarious to me that in this movie that's supposedly about family, uh, the biggest burden is also fucking family. <laughs> it's like every familial relationship that you create, great. Every time a father has a son, you're going to fucking put your shit on that son and that son's going to have to carry it out. He's going to be the best at cars. He's going to avenge your death. Like fucking sons is not the part of the family you want to be in the Fast and Furious franchise. I mean, isn't that what it's like, though? You have kids and you're like, ah, yes, we're going to have it all figured out. Then you just uh, make them deal with your bullshit, unfortunately. I I feel like that's sort of what Rita Moreno is trying to tack on to this movie at the very beginning. It just, yeah. Yeah, it just uh, it just doesn't work. I mean, this will definitely um, be like they'll. I imagine no matter what happens in eleven, whether Vin gets a twelfth movie out of this or not, they could easily do like a little B movie, right? Like spin off with like uh, just keep this going literally forever, basically. Just be like, here's Dom's son. Just find like a new Dom. Hobbs and Shaw didn't go over well. Like no one likes that movie. Well, see, here's the thing: they could just do Hobbs and Shaw in between these two things because those are the two characters that are left actually active at the end but of no this movie. But no one liked it. I mean, I don't no know. one I mean, that, that doesn't matter. It, it would be Hob- It would be a Hobbs and Shaw movie where we cut to Vin Diesel, like, you know, in like a fucking prison with Little B or however they they decided they're going to end this. We would play young Vin uh, Diesel if we had to cast them. Didn't like we already cast person? the young Vin Diesel? Yeah, but like a famous person. No offense to that actor who was very good in, in uh, Fast oh, 9, yeah. but if we were going to like recast and have a more famous figure in it, or like a, a baby, Vin, it wouldn't be a young Vin Diesel, excuse me, it would be like his son. Like, who would be like a Vin Diesel type to play his son as like a, a 20 year old? There aren't a lot of people cut in that mold, you know? Yeah, you gotta, you're, you're finding someone who's like a skinny kid who like can like bulk up and become a Vin Diesel. I'm just saying, I think I, it would be the work. most fast and it would be the most fast and furious thing ever to have Dom and his child apparently die at the beginning of the next movie, have it be an entire revenge film, and at the end be Dom be like, back and that that's the end of the series that i could see that happening it just uh, undercuts the entire movie. point of what they were doing yeah, except there's no way well, vin diesel will not nobody be wants starring to... in yeah. the next fast film yeah i mean if they give him a 13 one i can see them taking an entire one off but like yeah nobody it is so weird the meta version of this movie that nobody wants to be with vin diesel 
but everybody wants to cash in on the paycheck for the Avengers Infinity War, the Fast franchise. So that's exactly what you get, man. It, it, got, it got delivered. Uh, I don't know. Fast 10. It is a movie. It is in theaters. Fast 10, your seatbelts. Yeah, oh, that was good. Been... That's good, Katie. Was that the oh, I didn't make one? that up. Oh, I, I, no. thought that, I thought you did. That was really good. I thought that was a Matt that Patches, the uh, from like the, 10 years ago. The, tag, the tagline was uh, the, the, the end of the... No, the, the beginning of the, the end of the road. road. <laughs> Incredible. Which really conveniently leaves it open to how many this more of these they're going to make. Transforming into a 30 Rock joke. <laughs> yeah, yes. Definitely. Oh, man. I would love it. <laughs> Give me fast... Okay. <laughs> Name the next the next one Fast XX, then Fast Triple X, and then we've done a full circle and Back we need to get these out of the franchise. Yep. Min's never and, gonna uh, kick that out of the franchise. <laughs> He's never gonna leave. Oh god. No, why would he? Wouldn't leave either if I was him. I cannot wait to see how they they explain how Giselle is alive. I, I literally I was like, I couldn't even imagine what they're gonna do. Because it feels so untethered from any reality or any storytelling conventions that are realistic. They How much do they need do to bother, though? Can they just know. be like, she's here? Like, I was like, maybe they'll do like an Anakin, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a Palpatine thing where they're just like, somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> really yeah, they'll, they'll just say she came back at Fortnite and then she'll be back. <laughs> 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 they'll find the dial of destiny and go prevent her death. I mean, if this is the Infinity War, that's where they have to go, right? That's they, it's time travel. That's where. That's where we're at. Do you think it's something though, that they would do into the earth? I feel like they haven't done the core yet. Oh, oh that's core. good. You yeah. not drill be, drill car. Why are you why are you throwing those out? You got to save that kind of IP mining. That's Pay really me. good. If, any, if they do that, yeah. they owe me money. That's a really Residuals. good idea. WGA strike. Do you think they'll ever? Uh, not not to bring it down, but do you think they'll ever actually in the movie address Paul Walker beyond what they have done? Because it does really feel, especially in this one, it felt egregious that he's not in it, and that they're still referencing Brian being away like up on oh, the Oh really? They're like yeah. pretending he's alive? I, yes, they can pretend he's alive. I think that's 100% the reason Brian is now little B not Brian. <laughs> you can't just keep bringing up the name because at some point he would notice that the fr- the family that he loves have been labeled international terrorists. I would think. I, I honestly the, like, the amount of people who come back in this movie and I've heard this before but like I know that they used Paul Walker's brother to do the CG stuff in Fast 7 for his, mm-hmm. like, Beyond the Grave cameo at the very end of the movie. Are we at the point where, like, Vin Diesel would go out there and be like, Paul Walker would want this. He would want us to paste his CG face on his brother. Yes. You have to have his family agree to do it. daughter is in but... this movie. She's in Fast 10. She plays a, a, a flight attendant who helps John Cena... Oh, I don't know. About this is this. A, this getting... was a scene we we we. It's good to have friends in high we places. We skipped this scene, but she's a flight attendant who helps Cena and Little B uh, escape the terror or the agency by flying out of a moving plane on a smaller plane, uh, <laughs> a moving commercial airliner. So she's in on this franchise. <laughs> yes, people are yeah. ready to sign the papers to I allow mean, digital Paul Walker to be in the next movie. That is yeah. does not feel like a stretch. Anymore? No, at least at the end. At least at the end, I could see it in the in I mean, the last gotten, barbecue. 
We've got. They're going to be waiting for one final car, definitely and then CG again. Paul Walker. Will I mean, there would be a poetic way to do I'll it, put which would be money. to like at yes. the barbecue, like him, you know, come driving 1, up. You don't actually see him, percent. and he likes you just see his like foot oh, step out of the him. car. Oh no, or, like no, no. from the back. I, I actually you're thinking you something like, more. They'd walk up to the barbecue, and he'd look over his shoulder and be like, "Hey, it's me. I'm back." I've been here the whole time. <laughs> well, they don't we need to even CG do that. They could just say, like, it's him, and that's how smash cut to the end. It would be a good end. No, Patches is imagining something ghoulish. And yes. I'm imagining this all out. I, maybe I, I, more I think we're going to get the, the ghoulish stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the, this, <laughs> the franchise is only getting more ghoulish. <laughs> not subtle, I guess. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to be great. Boy. Man, I can't wait for a next one. <laughs> come, come back around on it, you and Dave both. That has been fast. <laughs> Do you think your Wu Tang sword can defeat me? On guard. I'll let you try my Wu Tang style. Bring the motherfucking ruckus! That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. David will, in theory, be back from Europe. Uh, Chris will be back someday, we hope. To, I hope so. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, we'd be lucky to have you. Uh, so we'll start. We'll start with you. Tell the people who you are and where to find you. I'm Chris Rosen. You can find me on Twitter at Chris J Rosen. I tweet a lot about the Mets. I don't really tweet as much anymore about anything real, but love my Mets tweets. And you could follow me on Gold Derby. The Mets are real. The Mets we are have real. A, a great podcast that you can listen to as well. Uh, I'm Matt Hatch. Editor over at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm on Letterboxd. At Mr. Patches, do people mm. follow you on Letterboxd, Chris? Would you ever? I'm on Letterboxd. Chris J. Rosen, come and find me. That's where I get real my real unfiltered takes, where I say things like spicy. Stripes, great movie. I don't care if it's canceled. Still funny. Stripes. Oh, man. <laughs> Dave and I canceled. Dave and I watched Stripes. Like, I think Dave and I canceled Stripes. We watched it. Uh, there's some podcast where it was just the two of us, and we both watched it. We were like, oh, oh boy. Adam bomb of cancellation, I think, as I wrote on, on, yeah, on Letterboxd. It's, so. it, it's bad news, man. Look, it was made for the moment. Um, well, I don't want to defend Stripes. I haven't watched it in a while. <laughs> Stripes is canceled. Anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, and remember, we have a website fighting in the worm.com you can listen to dave and katie talk about stripes at some point i'm sure we have reviewed old fast movies over the years it's been around as long as we have including and, fast uh, five last week right now we have a fast five review in the can we didn't do that the first time uh or did we i can't even remember it's been so long we decided we did week. not uh yeah fighting in the worm.com and and you can listen to old episodes of the uh comic podcast that dave enjoyed it. that i can't even fucking remember the name of it just talking about it. Thought bubble. The thought bubble. Hey, he was David Ehrlich. You could read his work on IndieWire or on Letterboxd. <laughs> uh, I mean, he because he appeared earlier in the podcast. Not oh, he did, will. Right. And I know about. Yeah. Well, he yeah. he's dead, uh, but he's gonna come back. Devin, he's gonna be back. He's gonna bring that new nuclear submarine. The explosion. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can email all of us at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to learn about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you could pre-order my book the, at themcubook.com. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. Dave and I talked about Stripes and the Bling Ring in an episode January 29th, 2020. Oh. I'm sorry for whatever butterfly effect that might have had and causing what happened next in the world. Uh, oh God, it was us. Yeah, okay. We're like, I, you know what's never going to happen at a <laughs> Wuhan wet market? I'll tell you. 
Uh, yeah, Patches and David were at Sundance, maybe getting COVID and maybe not. You'll never know. I think I got COVID. (laughs) Oh man, is this Wuhan wet market? Is this my hanging Chad (laughs) where I just get to go for two decades making one COVID joke? It'll be great. Uh, you can find me in the present at Vanity Fair on the Little Goldman podcast, which is the other awards podcast you should listen to where, uh, we heard more about can, you can hear about can from other people besides David. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can really, truly continue telling us about the Nine Years' War. Uh, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of The Little Mermaid's quote-unquote live-action remake, what actual live-action movie needs an animated remake? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Thank you.